Welcome, everybody, to episode eight of Ultra Pro Max, the podcast where we talk about app development and the Apple ecosystem. My name is Luke, and I am joined here with Joshua and Sadia, and we are going to do our best to make very few mistakes today. We don't have a lot of time to edit this week, so uh, we're going to start the mistake counter and uh, send us an email with how many uh, mistakes you caught us make. And with that, uh, we are going to launch right into this. We are, I think the three of us collectively are having a hard time finding time for side projects. Uh, Sadia, walk us through that. Where are you at with your side projects? I don't know, man. Sometimes work is great and work almost feels like a side project, you know? Lucky when you can get it that way. Even then, you know, I've got so many different ideas and I keep, how do you do this? Like my interest goes from one to another to another. But I'm like 95% there, I, and I'm letting people down, actively letting people down on this one particular side project. I'm so close, and I just can never quite motivate myself to finish that last little bit. You know what I mean? And, and I'm really struggling with that. And then I have this other crazy idea, and I start just working on that, even though it's probably never going to get finished either. And how do you do this? How do you do the side project thing and, and see it through? And the worst part, the worst part too, is that like development always takes three times longer than you think. So you're like, ah, we'll spin up a cool, fun project. No. I wonder about what is it that's stopping you? Um, Because for me, I'm getting a little bit better at just listening to my body and my mind. When I'm not capable of doing something, it often means a hierarchy of needs. Either maybe I'm worried about some bigger areas of my life. Maybe... I've got so many stressors going on that I'm I'm not quite realizing. I heard, um, I was listening to Merlin Mann on Dubai Friday uh, a couple weeks ago. And he said something that if you can't sleep at night, maybe it's because you don't feel safe. I'm like, that seems like the most obvious thing. Uh, yes, there could be medications. Maybe there's various factors. But what if you're just not feeling safe? And so you don't feel that freedom to go just be creative, be artistic, to build something. So I don't know if that's actually what's going on inside of you, but that's how I feel. When, when you say that, I immediately go to myself and think about, I have so many projects I want to work on, but I, I've got stressors in my life that don't make me feel that I can give myself permission just to go build something awesome that doesn't have a direct connection to my financial safety. <laughs> I don't think it's, I think it's kind of the opposite. I think for me, it's, I've got too much creative energy, right? Like I, I've got, I've got so much, oh, oh, this idea and that idea and the other idea going on. And you know, I just want to get it all out there. And then I get most of it out there until the creativity sort of putted it out and I come to a halting stop. And it's like, uh, now I actually have to do a little bit of hard work just to push this one over the finish line, you know? And that's where I'm at with this 95% Amber Hour project. Could you, uh, could you ship today? Could you ship with one day of work? That's, these are really good questions, but the thing is, I built everything except for payments, and I need payments in order for it to work. Let me ask you a question. This is like, you are welcome to say it doesn't work, but what if you shipped without payments just to see if anyone signs up for the bloody thing? Because if only three people sign up, is that worth another three months of your life getting payments just perfect? Yeah, if you got a thousand people on there, you're gonna have a lot of motivation to finish that up famously Basecamp shipped without payments because they knew they had 30 days to figure out how to charge people because they gave them a 30-day trial and they figured out payments as it was blowing up and people were signing up 
I can imagine myself giving the same advice to someone else. Um, th- this is a three-sided marketplace sort of situation. So, and one side is expecting people to have paid. You know, so it's not not quite as simple as that, unfortunately. So I need to be able to do like the Apple Pay thing and sign in with Apple is not a requirement, but it'd be nice. I've already got sign in with Google working and I would just, ah, uh, it would kill me to ship sign in with Google, but not ship sign in with Apple. So could you, uh, do you know that you have interest? Can you put up a page that commits yourself to, and see if people are signing up? Yeah, we've got, we've got that. We've got, I mean, this is, like I said, three, this is a, a three-sided marketplace sort of situation. We've got like breweries on board. This is like a beer beer style app, right? Go go check out the local breweries, and we got breweries on board. We got like over two hundred around the country. You know, like we we've got the interest. We've got a whole people ton of people using like a proto version of the app, and so like it's validated. It's a good idea. I just have to do that last little leg. And do you know what it is that's stopping me? It's Flutter. I hate flutter so much man it is such a pain and it's constantly changing and it's the indentations drive me nuts so i've complained about flutter before maybe we should have a little flutter uh sound a little ding to say "Uh oh is another flutter thing and then the other thing is just like all of apple's review stuff is complicated mess have you ever you know like all of the dev site where you know got to sign up for uh, test flight and then we've got to add users to the test flight and what about internal versus external users and then distributing and it just gets really messy really quickly and just getting your it's it, for me it's i just i need a day i need a day to be able to get my brain in the right space it sounds like that last five percent is actually more like 30% because um, just listening to casey list before he got his call sheet app live it sounded like the development was nearly complete, but there was just a real pressure crunch time of multiple weeks on end where he was trying to get it across the finish line and he didn't have a full-time day job. This is the, It's his job now to be a podcaster and build indie apps. And even with that availability, it just sounded like that pressure was just crushing him. So I would give yourself a little bit of a break that, you know... Um, it, you are almost discrediting it by saying it's the tiniest amount of work remaining. But what you're describing to me actually takes some finesse to pull off and get everything just right at the end. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I should just um, email my co-founders, hit them up on Slack and say, you know what, I'm going to give myself a bit of a break on this. See how they respond to that. After already actively letting them down. Oh, boy. I, I think, but, but even being realistic about where you're at, right? Yeah, I know. You're right. You're right. My my brother Jonathan is this eternal optimist. Uh, and Saudi has worked with him extensively for years. And when he gives an estimate of time in my brain, I double or triple it just because I know that's the reality of the world. Things just take longer and they're harder. But I admire him for always assuming that the impossible can happen because for him, it does occasionally. <laughs> yeah, I'm currently trying to get better at promising accurately my girlfriend tells me if i say 20 minutes it's gonna be she doubles it adds 15 so (laughs) i'm so sorry and it goes that way with my apps too i'll say i can get this done in a week no it's gonna be like a month that's like four times no it'd probably be like three weeks but still definitely promising being realistic and being honest to yourself is tough yeah and there it's not so much time it's mental for me 
safety space to be creative and, and where it's my family are, are things taken care of on the personal front where we're good is work my, my day job in a good place where we're good um, am i healthy there's so many factors that it feels like how did i how did i think that i was busy in my early 20s <laughs> Um, so just trying to give myself a little bit of grace. and So I'm speaking to you, Sadia, the way that I, I, I need to speak to myself more often. And I think there's an extra component, too, of just like, you know, how passionate you are about it. I mean, you, like you said, Josh, there's so many other things in your life that you have to worry about and stress over. And when it comes to the end of the day, when you have, you know, if it's after you get the kids to bed or whatever, like 9 to 10, when you have that time set aside, you better be really passionate about what you're working on to be able to summon up your last bit of self-control energy. Yeah, it's got and it's all about that passion because the problem is you get all of the passion and you start the project and then you get almost all of the way there and then you get all of the passion for a different project. So then it's not just you know having the willpower to finish it, it's also having the willpower to not work on the thing you feel like working on. Well, I think you have to be strategic and intentional with building your passion. Like you can't just leave it to the whims. Like Joshua said, you know, get it out and get a get a feel for how many people like it, how many people want it. And if you see that there's a lot of people that want it and you could, you know, make some serious money with it, that will manufacture some passion that you didn't have before. Yeah, I've run into this issue before where I pour so much energy into something, release it, and there's crickets. <laughs> so it, it makes me... Um, in the back of my mind, think, well, this next project is probably going to be crickets too. So you know what? I could just sleep or <laughs> I could watch a movie with my wife tonight. Um, so yeah, I, I um, pour one out for Sadia because I feel you. <laughs> yeah. And don't be afraid to kill your children if they're not not working out. Or what is the phrase? Is it kill your children? Darlings. Is that the phrase? Kill, kill, yeah, kill your definitely. darlings. <laughs> don't kill your children. <laughs> try, try, try to avoid that one. <laughs> Okay, don't kill your children, kill your darlings. Slight difference there. Um, speaking of darlings, Joshua, you have a darling sketch app and there's a new update. Uh, we are trying to figure out how to say it. Uh, I said Linnea, Joshua said Linnea. Linnea, I said, which I'm sure is wrong. And then I did a quick search for how to pronounce Linnea and it came up with like Spanish stuff. So I said, oh, turns out it's the Spanish word for line which that word is pronounced Linnea, I believe. I'm, I'm not a Spanish speaker, but that's closer. All right, so I, I'm curious now which way it is. Um, I've, <laughs> it's one of those things where you see a word, but you never hear it. It's this, I'm going to just say it the way I remember it. Linnea Sketch is this app I've used for like six or seven years. And it's one of the most graceful, gorgeous little apps for just sketching stuff on the iPad. I've used, uh, I've written about it several times on my blog. I've used it. And I love just the feel that it has when you're putting digital brush to paper and creating something. So I have lots of sketches there. It's also raster and not vector. Uh, for those who are interested in the world of sketching, you have apps that create a vector SVG object based on every line that you create. Concepts is one of them. Uh, Freeform is another one. Miro is another one. But then you have Affinity Designer is my favorite. Yes, Affinity Designer. Uh, then you have uh, Procreate and Linea and Apple Notes that output a raster image, which means it's going to be pixelated if you zoom in, which is fine. <laughs> With Linea Sketch, they I have been requesting a larger canvas for years. The problem is, and I've actually 
emailed the company. I've gotten a response back that when you're doing a raster canvas on an iPad, you're limited by the memory available on that iPad and by the processing power, which means that the canvas, if you make it too large, that you um, will, it'll start to be slow. It'll start to just not be able to create those graceful, very quick lines on the canvas. And so that's been my biggest complaint with Linea Sketch for years, that I just need a little bit more space. I'm trying to sketch out an app, but I have to create one screen or zoom in really far and then go out of the app, come and create another screen. I just want a bigger canvas, 4X, would that be too much to ask? So they had a big update last month and it said canvas updates. I was so excited. I jumped in, I looked at it, and it's just different aspect ratios. That's it. It's not a larger canvas. So this this is not, I'm not bringing this up to rag on them. Uh, the Icon Factory is one of my favorite development companies. They are absolutely amazing. I love their work for the last 15 years that I've been following them. Um, but I just wish that I could have a raster app that had a larger canvas that was as great as Linea Sketch. Um, so that's just me. Uh, going back to Freeform tonight and using it and being a little sad. Doesn't Procreate have quite a large canvas? Procreate does, and based on your iPad, it can handle quite a bit. But I, Procreate is like being refusing to use Photoshop 15 years ago for my simple illustrations and concepts because it's just overkill for what I need. I don't need... There's something about... Linea Sketch having three brushes to choose from that just takes all choice away from me and I focus on the UI UX work. Um, I can't do it in Procreate. I have tried many, many times. My brain, the moment I open that app, my brain thinks illustration. It doesn't think UI UX. And so I just, it doesn't work for me. Now, aren't there, aren't there brushes and like vector apps that would kind of let you do the same thing and still be able to create quickly and smoothly? Um... Affinity Designer is one of them, right, where they do a decent job, but it's not, oh, I need to clarify, this is sketching out wireframes for apps that I create. Uh, so I only need a couple of tools. Uh, clarify your question again. You're asking if like a vector brush would, would work well? I guess why vector wouldn't work just as well. In my mind, it would almost work better because then, you know, if you're drawing wireframes, wire et cetera, you can you know, grab those and make them larger or, you know, in, in relation to other things without having to erase. Joshua wants to put in his dodgy, like, doctor's handwriting in there and stuff like this. Like, I don't, I don't, and he doesn't want all those smooth curves, you know, I think. No, that's absolutely the case. And at least with Illustrator, when I've used their vector brushes, the app slows down because when I'm creating a little a sketch or an illustration, there might be a thousand brush strokes. And if every single one of those is a separate vector object, the app can't handle that, at least in my experience. When it's raster, the app can handle it. So uh, Freeform doesn't even try. You, you're only creating strokes on the canvas. There's no brushes. And uh, I, I think this is just an inherent limitation of trying to create it on, on an iPad, which I accept, but I still feel that there's room for an amazing app that does what I want, but it doesn't exist yet. Can you remind me which which iPad do you use? I've used I have the M uh, no, no, no no I I have the last generation iPad Pro before the M1 was came out and I have an iPad mini and on both of them I've gone back and forth and tried every app. I really like that iPad mini. The iPad mini 
is the perfect form factor. I'm holding one here. I even bought this little um, uh, uh, strap on the back that I can hold it in one hand and draw with the other. It is just absolutely perfect. Uh, it has very limited processing power though relative to like an M1 iPad. So I'm guessing you just run into challenges. Uh, but what were you asking, Luke? Well, I was, you know, talking about the vector drawing. You're probably like trying to sketch like lots of you know, quick, like, you know, like a sketch artist will draw lots of quick little strokes to try to get the general shape of something. Yes, I'm not trying to create, I actually, I, I run away from any tools that allow it to create a, a clean line. I don't want clean lines. Sadia has seen many of my drawings. They're intentionally organic feeling because when a stakeholder looks at it, I want, I don't want them to think it's done. I want them to think that it's malleable and then we can keep iterating on it. So that's an intentional choice on my part. Organic or just messy? One of those. Yes, artistic. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I I feel like I got a little bait and switch though with this uh, in the show notes. Linnea sketch update, super exciting. No, no, just right back where we were. <laughs> that that was maybe intentional. Nah. Well, on to other things. Um, something on the exact opposite side of this uh, industry spectrum from. Uh, artistic design choices and how messy or whatever something is. Let's talk about development contracts. In we talk about app development. How do you, how do you as a for developer working with a client? How do you put, set up a contract that's going to protect you against? Oh man, there's all kinds of things. First of all, like there's intellectual property considerations. There are uh oh what was the other thing i was going to say you know f the feature list like what happens if they want to change their features halfway through you know if there's bugs at the end if there's more you know once they actually see the pro the product uh, that you've created they'll all of a sudden think of a you know a ton more features that now they, they couldn't imagine before because they couldn't see what what was possible and so how do you protect yourself against all of those things i uh just writ wrote up my first real like beefy software development contract before this my clients and contracts have been more informal because we've all been you know kind of friends and good faith and it, you know it's all been good but now it's i got a, a contract with a company that you know i need to have a a written contract so i uh, this has been big in my world for the last week or two i'm curious if you guys have had any experience with uh, especially sadia in development but joshua as well in, in the ux world like writing up these software contracts just curious what your guys' experiences there Oh man, uh, I'll start a little bit. Uh, I have found that the best, most robust contract in the world is nil if their relationship breaks down. It, you'll, you'll get to the letter of the law to try and uh, figure out how to eke it out. However, a good contract I find helps a lot if the relationship has some ups and downs between you and the client, like, hey, we're kind of struggling to get to the end here. Let's go look at the contract, see what we agreed that we all signed on to, that the payment is connected to, and let's just focus on getting that done. And I have found that sometimes it helps to get across the finish line when everything is getting muddy toward the end of the, like creating an application, at least from the de design perspective. Um, I do try really hard to put in flexibility into my contracts because I've never seen a project that from initial pitch to completed, in my case, design or development, uh, that it's the same. So I, I'm very cognizant of, hey, uh, I want to be lowercase letter agile about the way that we approach creating this. There's a whole debate about proper agile software in Scrum, and I've 
got maybe more frustrations than happiness about that these days. But I, uh, I, I guess that I overall have been very lenient about contracts and just trusted that things will go well. But I recently had a project that we had a pretty tight contract for what I viewed as a smaller type of project, but it actually was helpful because toward the end of the project, we started running into some friction and the client was like, hey, Joshua, what if we just do a change order and extend the budget by 30%? Would that help us get across the finish line? And that was because of the way we'd written the contract. He had the flexibility to actually approach me and that was a huge relief. So I'll pause. I'd love to hear what Sadia thinks. But overall, I think that the relationship matters so much. But sometimes if you're working with a large company, the relationship does have to take a bit of a backseat uh, to lawyers and legal and HR and bureaucracy and red tape. And you can tell I love it. So much fun. Sadia, what do you think? Well, just quickly on the intellectual property thing. I, I always, that's always a concession, you know, like you, you don't want to have any part of their intellectual property. No, thank you. You guys keep it. And I'll, cause you know, ideas are a dime a dozen. So if you're going to compromise on something, you know, that that's a no brainer. But in general, my contracts, I try to, uh, at least my, my first step is to try to sell a contract that is as broad as possible. Let's engage for three months here's a list of the type of things I'm good at. On day one, I'll just come in and start seeing where I can add value. That sort of contract, right? As a So so typically people will say, oh, you need a defined scope. You need, you know, everything written out. But that's not my approach. My approach is, no, let's, you tell me what you need and we'll evaluate it, you know, day by day or week by week. We'll just make adjustments as we go might turn out that right now the biggest thing is, oh, look, we really need to sort out these coding standards issues before we can do anything. Or if it's a new project, you know, maybe we want to spend a lot of time in making sure we've got a solid foundation. Maybe we want to rush through. It's going to be different for everything. And so just having that flexibility there, I think, is really helpful. I just make a list. Like, I, I can do... Uh, I can help you with coding standards. I can help you with pull requests and setting up development workflows. I can help you with code reviews. I can help you with unit tests all the way through to I can build a PHP app. I can build an iOS app. I can build something with WordPress, you know, all of this sort of thing. And let's do three months. And if you're still happy with me after three months, or if you're not sure, let's do one month. And if you're still happy with me after one month, then we'll we'll keep it going. But Sometimes people feel a bit uneasy about that because they're not sure whether or not there's going to be a deliverable at the end, you know? When that happens, that's when we start to talk about scoping. And in terms of the contract, I find that I do have a contract that I use for people, but more often than not, the client already has a contract that they want, want me to sign. And I just sign it. I don't put too much thought into it or too much... Uh, I don't sweat too much because I at the end of the day, have never been in a situation where we had to invoke lawyers, right? You haven't kept up your end of the deal, whatever. Nobody wants lawyers. Nobody likes involving lawyers in a, in a project. And if you can just maintain that sort of uh, good-natured uh, friendliness, even when things get tough, you need, when if you're able to say no with love, and that's like a superpower worth developing, learning how to say no with love, 
then the clients understand, you know. You just say, hey, look, uh, this this is really good, but it's not really what we had agreed on. And, we, and I've never really had a situation where we need to go back to like the contract and talk about terms. The scoping document separate from the contract is a different thing though. And so the scoping document is worth putting time into. But the contract itself, yeah, don't, I don't worry too much. Sadia, would you say your contracts are more based on time then? Because if so, that is a little bit easier. No, honestly, I, I, I do have, like I said, I have the standard contract, but it's mostly just so that I can tell people I have a contract I can send you. And 99% of the time they say, my clients will say, oh, that's great, but can you sign ours? And I'll say, yeah, sure. You know, that's how it usually goes. And so I'm not too worried. And in fact, the contract that I do have prepared is just a copy, essentially, with a few adjustments of a good contract that a client sent to me one time. So, but but it's worth just making a distinction between the scope and the contract. You know, and the contract, I don't think you put, you don't, you don't put too much time and stress into that. You put your time and stress into the scoping document. No, that's good. I want to push back on a couple of things you said. Well, uh, first of all, in scope, I guess I, I'm kind of struggling with it a little bit, just namely that the first app I did uh, was for you know, uh, a summer camp that I'd worked at for eight plus years. You know, I love all the people there. Phenomenal relationship. Everything's just fantastic, right? Uh, but they were on a tight, bu- tight budget, and it was my first big like project out of college. So there was the understanding that like the the project was going to be underpriced because it would be a great addition to my portfolio and because we had, I know I wanted to help them out too. Uh, but at the end of the day, we didn't have good, sc- an understanding of what the scope of the project was. And when it all came said and done, I think it was, it ended up, and I have to be careful what I say. I, actually, I don't have to be careful what I say. I love all these people and we, we have a good understanding, but you know, like the, it ended up being probably 10 bucks an hour at the end of the day which was a lot less than I, you know, thought it was, I think it was under 10 bucks, 10 bucks an hour. And, you know, that's partly my fault too, because we ended up, I was very passionate about the project and we just kept adding feature after feature and being able to say no with love would have been a very helpful attribute there, um, especially as the feature started getting bloated out. Um, But coming into this next project kind of gave me the sense of like, okay, I'm working with another organization with a more limited budget. And so it's not, as simple to just say, okay, let's just work for a month or two and see what features we can crank out and then kind of just adjust agilely and kind of go from there. It was tight budget, tight time frame. So it's like, okay, I need to get down absolutely every feature that we're going to be using, price price it out based on the hours, based on that, inflate it a little bit because we're, you know, I, I inflated the hours by 40% because I wasn't sure, you know, how much extra work would have had to gone in, unforeseen work would have had to gone into it and uh priced it that way because i was just you know terrified that we we're going to get to the end of it and then it wasn't going to meet specifications and then i would end up blowing out my hours out of proportion and i'm stuck on this fixed rate at the beginning if you're constrained on your budget your time frame and your scope you're screwed oh yeah. boy <laughs> that's exactly what i was gonna three. say unpacks more of that you have to have flexibility on one of them if you can figure out wiggle room on one of those three then you can make a, a rough project work. But I have been constrained on all three on some projects and a few of them almost just destroyed me. 
<laughs> where I now I, I refuse to do a project. I would rather walk away and find new money if I have to be locked on all three, just because of how scarred I am from the past. So yes, yeah, it's you impossible. Have more. Like you've got you've got time, you've got scope as in your feature set, and you've got money. Pick two. You know, you you can only pick two, and that's what I tell my clients as well. You know, you you got a deadline, great. You got a set of features you want, great. That's going to cost money, you know. Or you want it to be cheap, well then you're going to have to change the amount of features you got, or change the amount of time. Uh, although I don't tend to really use that variable very but much. Time and money are pretty linked, right? Is that why you're saying you you don't use the time variable? Oh, uh, when I say time, I, when I say time, I mean deadline. You know, how how quickly do you want it? But it doesn't change the amount of hours spent necessarily, just your kind of like mental energy to be able to push it faster. Sure. Or the other way of looking at it, that's that's right. Or the other way of looking at it is time, uh, sorry, is, uh, is price, features, scope, and quality. I can lower the quality and give you the same feature set, but it's going to be buggy. So typically what like I think the best approach is, you know, when, with Agile, what you're doing is you're saying, I've got all of these ideas for features that I want, I'm just going to put them all into a big list. And then we'll see what how much time I have. Uh, I have two weeks at a time, right? I've got two weeks, the variable here is what features can I fit in to two weeks. But the approach I prefer to take is more budget driven. This feature, how much money am I willing to spend? What's my appetite in terms of how much I'm willing to put towards that? And so I might say to the client, here's all of the features. Here's how much time I think it'll take me for each of those. We could reduce hours here. We could reduce hours here. I think that we'd still... And so you get into this whole product management space that every developer needs to have if they're quoting, where you're being able to say, I think that we're going to have an MVP. I'm going to, I think we're going to have something that's pretty good if we don't do this one. And now you're adjusting for how much money they have based on your features not based on your time no that's good and that's exactly what i ended up doing is i just had a notion page that had it probably has uh maybe like 120 items on it just all like varied but they're like like each feature would have maybe like would be broken down into six things like i got i got just hyper focused on like the hours like every each item ranges from one hour to seven to eight hours of time I am so excited to hear retro in a couple of months when this project <laughs> yeah, is done. Probably interesting. When you said that, maybe Sadia remembers this too. I've had projects at a previous company where we had to do that exact thing. There was a spreadsheet with a hundred items on it, and then I would go in and add my uh, my my estimation. Someone else would add their estimation. Oh man, <laughs> you just triggered me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, there is. It is possible to go into too too much detail. I I think I'm I'm more of the level where it's like. Oh, feature X. Cool. So how much do you want to spend on that? One week? Six weeks? You know, we could really get into this high-level feature and put a lot of detail in it. And then once they give you that, it, now you say, oh, you want to spend two weeks on this big feature? Well, in two weeks, I think I can achieve these two or three sub-items, right? You, you don't let them choose the sub-items. That's too much. That's too much. With what you're doing, though, I, I think that... One of the best things for me has been to just try a bunch of different ways of doing projects with clients and learn myself which ways I want to try and modify on going forward. So you described an app that you 
you did a great job. Like I've seen the app where people were happy, um, but you're like, uh, that, that took too much out of me for the amount of income it brought me. And at the end of the day, I've got to, I've got to pay my bills. So you're now you're adjusting in a different way. And so you're adding a few controls for this other project. And I think like that is totally fine, right? Because when we're talking again in a couple of months, you'll have another project. You're like, all right, I've learned a little bit again, and I'm going to keep modifying. And so for me, um, I, I've just used each project to modify. One is uh, don't start without a down payment. I've been incredibly messed up for not doing that in the past. Like you, you learn all these things. <laughs> No, that's good. I, I also want to say about that initial project too. I, I'm very grateful for them for that opportunity. I'm not going to like bash them and say, oh, they didn't pay me enough or whatever. Like, no, it would be a very firm understanding at the beginning. And I'm grateful for the opportunity they gave me. And it was a fun project and it was great to work with all those people. So I, I think you said you, you hate the app and all the people involved. <laughs> Got it. All my friends that are going to be listening to this. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> no, we're, we're, no, it's all good. I have another thing I want to talk about. Well, just IP. I want to push back on what you said about IP a little bit. I guess it, de you know, obviously it depends on every project, but my projects recently, like the app for the summer camp and the app I'm involved with now, they're both kinds of things where like I'm building the thing from end to end and it could be used elsewhere for other companies doing a similar thing. The summer camp, you know, they just said, yeah, you can do whatever, whatever the heck you want to do with this, you know? Uh, but this app here, they're, you know, they want to be able to have the source code afterwards so that they can, you know, if I get hit by a bus, they can, you know, da, da, da. of course, of course, every app, every company requesting development is going to want to do that. But at the same time, I'm looking at it and I want to retain IPs, not so that I can control what they do with it, but more so that I can have the freedom to go market it elsewhere as well, based on the type of app it is. Is that a fair thing to to look at or... I'm curious what what you guys think about that. I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical that you'll ever have the chance to use that same source code again. Fair enough. No, I and I'd have to kind of explain more about what the project is, but I think there are other organizations doing a similar thing that it could be could be reused fair, fairly easily. Like with the summer camp one, if you approached another summer camp tomorrow, would you use your code base to kind of create that and get the app up and running with them pretty quickly? Is that would that work for you? I think so. I mean, you know, obviously there's you can either duplicate everything or you can use the same resources and just partition. I think it would it would be easier just to duplicate everything, but as soon as you start, you know, selling it to 10, 15 summer camps, you're going to you would wish you had partitioned everything under the same code base cuz you're going to want the same changes. But won't the first summer camp be like pissed off that now they don't have a point of differentiation and they paid for all this dev work? Yeah, uh, they probably would be. I mean, they them they specifically wouldn't be, um, but a company in a similar situation probably would be. And that's the tricky thing, right? Because the way I look at it, they they commissioned the work, but they only offered a you know, a problem set. They didn't offer a solution set, right? They just said, we want an app to do this. I came in and said, okay, here's your problem. Here's the way I'm going to solve it. You know, obviously that's how I build it, but it's also like the, all the UX decisions, all of the, you know, all the decisions that go into it. I built the solution, right? Yeah, that's cool. Occasionally those sorts of projects do come around and I guess you're right. Like in those cases, IP is important to retain. I I find it's, it's more rare. Maybe, maybe it's just more common as you're starting out, I'm not sure, but more often than not, the client knows what they want, in my experience. 
I'm thinking about what Luke's describing. This actually happened to me earlier on in my career where I was helping to work on some applications for, uh, in our case, we're both part of the same church. So it was for a sub-organization of the church. Our team immediately saw that we could replicate this and sell it to another sub-organization and everyone would actually be really happy because there's some similarities. And so I'm wondering if that's where your brain is going, that there's, I don't know how many, but 30 other summer camps in America that they see this and you're like, hey, I actually am available. I can make some new features. I'll modify it. And here's the price. And that gives you, that's probably where your brain was going. And in that sense, that does make sense. In these cases, sometimes the best option is to open source it, to just clean it up a little bit and remove any branding or whatever and throw it up on GitHub, maybe put together a website and try and get some attention around it for other summer camps. Let them spin up their own until they run into problems and then they know exactly the right person to call. Oh, that's interesting, actually, because then there's not as much pressure to to go around and market it. It kind of just almost self-markets. You have to do a little bit of marketing, but self-markets itself in a way. In this case, you are the expert that runs that project. They're they're, they're not going to work with someone else. They're going to work with you. Even if technically it's open source, they can do whatever they want. You're the person to call to actually make anything happen. And this is the world that uh, Sadia and I came from where... You, you think that open source means you'll lose it all. Actually, in fact, it often gives you the ability to really retain the, uh, uh, the I'm going to say control a little bit, because even in open source, there's the benevolent dictator for life. Usually the person who started it usually still controls the strings. This is uh, Ruby on Rails. This is WordPress. They're still around 20 years later. Um, one of the original people who made it is still kind of controlling where it goes, even though it is open source. So I actually, I, I think the open source route is a fantastic way to go. And that kind of just removes, <laughs> actually, I remember Sadia years ago suggesting I open source an illustration project I was on. And I ended up stopping because I'm like, if that sounds like too much work, but there's something about make it free to the world and be the person that is known for having done that. Um, John Gruber Markdown, I don't know if that's technically open source. Yeah, it is. Where he kind of became famous for this thing that helped his career in many other amazing ways by building the thing that millions of people use. And you get money by the individual organizations coming and using it, forking it, and then wanting you to help them build out custom features instead. Yes, there's not a direct correlation, but because there's you have to do the work to get known, to be appreciated, to be like, oh, that guy is the person to help on this project. But there's so... I personally open source with the idea or I, I work on open source with the idea that it's going to help me pay the bills. I, I can't just like do things forever for free. But um, and some people would say that I'm not in the true spirit of open source for that. <laughs> but I think it's great. Hey, I'm just looking at the time. I see we're almost about to finish. But before we finish up, I really want to know what the next installment in the Touch Bar saga is with you, Luke. Is your touch bar still playing up? Is it still working? Are you still able to identify emoji just by placing your finger and having a sixth sense about it? Yeah, this gets us to the next topic of Luke needs a new laptop. Uh, no, the, <laughs> the touch bar is currently strobing as we speak. Strobing? That's new. Well, no, it's always been... Maybe I didn't... Maybe I wasn't as clear before. It's always been strobing, but then it'll like once I, you know, engage the mouse, the strobing will go away and then half the touch bar I can't see, but I can, I still have, yeah, I have that sixth sense of where things should be and I can tap the touch bar blindly and I, I'll get what I need. But each, each, with each passing week or month, more of the touch bar dies from right to left. So 
we're probably around 60% right now. And uh, some days it's 100%, other days it's 60%. So uh, yeah, we're, we're very due for a new laptop. And with this new project, it's actually a, it's a, it's a possibility. It's a feasibility. So let, let's, check, uh, let's chat a little bit about my new MacBook. Um, how do we want to do this? Do you guys want to just blindly give a recommendations or <laughs> what do you want to do? My first question is what kind of budget do you comfortably feel like allotting to the laptop? That's a good question. I've got, I think I'll get like six, maybe 650 trade in value for my current MacBook. And then I've got another 500 sitting on other stuff. So that puts me at like 500 on like prepaid gift. It's a prepaid gift card from Delta. I like got stranded in the airport one day. So I got 500 bucks from Delta. So that'll help which I have to figure out if Apple even let me piecemeal, uh, you know, payment options. Yes, you can do up to six gift cards plus a credit card plus a second credit card. Oh, ask me why I know this. <laughs> so yes, you have a lot of flexibility. <laughs> oh, that's great to know. That, that's a lot of value for today. Yeah, so that's that puts me at like 1100 And I think the one I'm currently looking at is 1700 So that's like six or 700 out of pocket plus Apple Care. So that's like 1900 Let's say I have 2000 total. You've got 2000 total. What size hard drive do you, do you operate off of or think about? Currently I use 512 gigabytes. Um, I'm always, I'm really pushing it, especially with, you know, all the extra mysteries. Uh, what do they call it? I'm looking it up right now. That big glob that you don't know what it is. Exactly. <laughs> Which honestly, that could be another discussion for another day is clearing that out. It is a nightmare, but yeah. I'm always pushing my storage. So maybe a terabyte, but at the end of the day, like I'm just a developer. I'm not like a video producer or, you know, photographer or anything like that. Like I, I think I can do better management of my space. This is an unpopular opinion. I think that almost always you can just be a better manager. You don't need as much storage. If you're running out of storage, you've done something wrong. You've made a mistake and it's not selecting the hard drive when you're purchasing your laptop. Right, because I'm thinking about, well, I want to do a time machine backup, but if I do that, I end up with all of the old baggage. Financially, you got a lot of options, right? I'm actually, I'm running on a 512 myself for my M1 Max. That was the way I was able to save on cost. And I've got 177 gigabytes free. It's not super ideal because iCloud, I have a lot of stuff in iCloud and I don't have a true backup solution if I get screwed in that way uh, because I have like 1.5 terabytes on iCloud right now. <laughs> but it's allowed me to save money by buying a laptop okay so you'd be okay with 512 i'm hearing all right what laptop are you thinking of getting right now i'm looking at the uh let me pull up apple i'm looking at the macbook air m2 with 16 gigabytes of ram 512 of storage um, i don't think there's any processor configurations that are customizable are you going with 15 inch or or it is 15 inch right you know, I've been on a 13 inch for the last, you know, few years, but I, I think I could go for 15 inch. Be a big upgrade, actually. Yeah. Have you considered the studio? No, that's the like little desktop thing, right? Right. You, you have a monitor. You have a keyboard and mouse. Okay. What's the big pull here? I mean, I lose my mobility. Do you, is mobility crucial for you? I think it kind of is, which kind of makes this a mute point, but I'm still curious why why you're saying the the studio well i think i think when you buy a macbook air you're paying for the design and you're you're mostly paying for the display and the battery you know so and and you know a bunch of other stuff the trackpad and the keyboard keyboard and the webcam but if you've already got a lot of that stuff 
then and you're looking at saving money one option could be to wait for the m3 studio which i think should be in the first half of next year pick that one up and then you've got a much more capable machine you know perhaps a similar price yeah i wonder you know i mean we could spend a long time breaking down like why you know all those extra capabilities would would be necessary you know if i'm just get cloning and working with vs code if that's my main functionality i mean that being said i'm also a musician so i'm running logic pro and main stage main stage sucks a lot of processing power so that's probably another consideration but then again you know if i'm going to run main stage i need i need a laptop because i need to be able to bring this thing on stage that's true probably a laptop then also have you looked at the refurbished store no what's that yeah, for the apple it's typically about 15 percent discounted i think it is always 15 percent discounted it's last year's MacBook Airs and MacBook Pros that will have better specs for the same price point. So it might be worth just looking at their $2,000 price point and seeing if like an M2 Pro makes sense. Uh, so it, just to throw out more options for you. The other thing too, you didn't hear me officially say this, but take advantage of that student discount unless you're already considering that. Oh, you're a student for life. I thought about that. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, I should I have done it before and I've known other podcast hosts who have done it. That saves you like another 10% or that does save you 10% separate from the refurbished. You can't use student discount. If you have a family members in Montana, you can also save on sales tax. <laughs> you know, I live, I live in Walla Walla 10 minutes from Oregon. So I got, I got good, some good friends down there in Oregon. Send it to your friends, man. <laughs> I don't know how it works in the States, but in Australia, if you buy enough Apple stuff, you should set up a business account. And if you set up a business account and you buy enough Apple stuff, you start to get business discounts too. What does that look like? I've never heard of anyone in the States doing that. You know, like what that percentage is-ish? 10-ish. I think it's like a student discount. You're probably better off with a student discount. But if, if you don't want to, you know, do the, if you want to do the right thing, I think it is the right thing to use the student discount personally. <laughs> I'm still learning. <laughs> yes. You're you're basically just a baby in college. I paid a lot of money in college. I think I think I deserve a little <laughs> bit of that paid forward. So I, I would look at that just to see if between the refurbished store and the education store, does that maybe you, you're still at your same price point, but you can get a, uh, upgrade the memory on that MacBook Air potentially or, or something. Because 16 gigabytes is fine. Um, I have um, an M2 Air with 24 gigabytes and i love it oh that's great well thank you thank you for those recommendations i'm gonna check out the refurbished store because i was looking for macbook pros on the m2 as uh, it's got to be somewhere i don't want to like macbook was only m3 and i said where's the m2 i know the m2 is just as good as the m3 just about well thank you both for helping me work through all my development woes and contract gnarliness but was, this was all very helpful for me i hope it's helpful for our listeners um thank you all for joining us today just another plug for our email uh we would love your feedback in any way, shape, or form. The email is email at ultrapromax.fm. So please hop on there and uh, just, you know, chat to say hi or tell us what we're doing wrong, what we could be focusing on. Just give us ideas on how. And we, our backlog of things to chat about is long, but we would love it to be longer. Please uh, pop in there and give us some good stuff. This was Ultra Pro Max. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining. We'll see you next time.